before the last of the Easter chocolate has all been consumed and before the memories of the special Easter music that we had has completely faded from our ears. And we continue actually with the story, the Easter story that we began last week. We also return to a theme that we touched on last week. You all remember the basics of what happened in our Easter story. On that Sunday morning at sunrise, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to prepare Jesus's dead body for its final burial. There's an earthquake, border, the boulder rolls back, angel shows up, guards freak out, Mary's looking to the tomb, and nobody. Stop the movie right there. Okay, so in our story last week, we followed the two Marys as they ran from the tomb to tell the men what had happened. Then they ran into Jesus himself, resurrection, new life, Jesus is Messiah, yay. But this morning, we pick up the story that took place when some other people ran away from the tomb in the opposite direction. Our story for this morning starts off this way. In verse 11, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Basically, the church leaders are the chief priests, um, and then they get together with the ruling elders in just a minute to devise a plan. The guards tell these church leaders everything, it says, that happened. But that likely means the earthquake, the angel, and the empty tomb. We don't have any solid information that they actually ever saw the risen Jesus himself. So no matter what actually happened that morning, no matter why the tomb was empty, the tomb was empty and the soldiers were in big trouble. In an earlier scene that happened before last week's story, we hear the task that the soldiers had been assigned. In chapter 27, beginning at verse 62, we hear this. After Jesus was buried, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate, the governor. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until that third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate answered, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So... They went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So here we, we see, or we hear in this story, that the guards 
Their job is to make sure that no one takes the body out of the tomb. So again, whatever it was that happened, for whatever reason the tomb is empty, they clearly failed at their job because the tomb was empty. So in our story this morning, after we hear that they went and told the chief priests everything and that the tomb was empty, we hear them continuing, the, the chief priests and the, the elders, the senior pastors and the elders, the way one commentator puts it, devised a plan and they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. They make this bribe even more enticing for the guards by promising that if Pilate, the Roman governor, finds out, uh, that they will smooth things over. Because if Pilate had found out and they don't smooth it over, the guards could actually lose their lives for having failed. So for the soldiers, this is a great out. Not only will they not get punished, but they will make a bunch of money. So this morning story is a pretty typical story for us human beings. Rich and powerful leadership doesn't want to lose power, so they devise a plan that includes lies and bribery. And it works. Notice in verse 15, the soldiers took the money, they did as they were instructed, and then this is Matthew's commentary. And this story has been widely circulated among the Judeans to this very day. Matthew was writing that line about how it's still continuing this story at least 40, 50 years after the actual events. And he was in Antioch, which is in present-day Turkey near the Syrian border, so he's quite a ways away from Jerusalem. And yet still, decades later and far away, that story is still going around. The story that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Instead, the disciples stole his body from the tomb and must have ditched it somewhere. Matthew and others are claiming that the tomb was empty because Jesus was raised from the dead. But other people are claiming that the tomb was empty because Jesus' disciples stole his body and they made up all that other stuff. Clearly, one of these two groups is lying. Why is it that we believe, in the church at least, that we believe the disciples? And this is where we come back to a theme that we touched on last week. God gave us brains in order to use them. And what that means for us is that we must always be open to questioning our faith, to looking very seriously for the truth and trying to make sense of the facts that we know. In our faith, the major observable, observable fact was the empty tomb 
And that's pretty much it. No dead body was ever recovered that people claimed was the dead body of Jesus. Simply an empty tomb. And two different stories developed to explain why the tomb was empty. Now, the most ridiculous argument I've heard raised in favor of the Christian story is that we have this story that we just read this morning about the church leadership making up the lie and bribing the guards to tell the story that the disciples stole the body. Some Christians actually use that as quote-unquote evidence that the Christian story is the true one. But that makes no sense. If the disciples of Jesus were desperate enough to steal the dead body of their former teacher Jesus and ditch it somewhere, they certainly wouldn't have any qualms about making up a story about the guards lying. So at the time that this all happened, and frankly, at the time that Matthew was writing his story 40, 50 years later, the guards' version of the story probably made more sense of the facts. However, as the decades and the centuries rolled on, the story that the disciples told gained more and more validity. Those who claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead, to, see, to have seen Jesus alive, were willing to be executed rather than to renounce their story of Jesus raised from the dead. Many followers of Christ were executed for that belief and sharing that belief. You'd figure that if they had made it all up, somebody would have cracked before they were actually executed. But there's no story that anyone ever did. In addition, this story about this backwoods itinerant teacher being God's anointed one continued to spread from Jerusalem and Galilee to South Asia to Northern Africa, across the Mediterranean coastline, inland and northward. Women and men, rich, poor, people of all different ethnicities and languages heard this story told and believed it to be true. The story the disciples told claimed that wherever people were, whoever they were, they could be reconciled with God through Christ and enter into the kingdom of God even now. And as this story was told further and further, the hearts of people were filled and they knew it was true. And here we are now, hundreds of centuries later, on the other side of the planet Earth. And we are united by our belief that the itinerant Jewish teacher Jesus was, in fact, God in flesh and blood. That the tomb was empty because he had been raised from the dead. 
Early on, it was likely quite difficult to tell the lie from the truth. But over time, the truth revealed itself more and more. Little jump here. In a novel about Seattle and the World's Fair, Jim Lynch, Lynch makes up a conversation that one of the characters in the story has with Elvis Presley in Seattle for the Fair. In it, Elvis has this line. He says, truth is like the sun, isn't it? You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. Truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. That's also the title of the novel, The Truth Like the Sun. For me, that came to mind because that sums up the truth of our story of Christ, the full story of who he was and what happened and the way of life that Christ leads us into. It's like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it will not go away. Ultimately, God's truth will prevail. The hard part is how long it can take for God's truth to prevail and how much damage can happen before then. I'm sure all of us have experienced the damage of a lie, either one told against us or maybe even ones told by us. And certainly we are now seeing across our nation the damage done by lies being told at the national level. And these lies that we're hearing these days have had horrific consequences. Everything from graduations canceled to people we love dying. For me to say that God's truth prevails without acknowledging the destruction and pain caused by lies in the meantime would be to inflict further damage to those already suffering. And at the same time, at the same time, even in the midst of the consequences of those lies, our scriptures proclaim that God's truth does prevail. And so we endure. We persist. Here again, our Hebrew First Testament reading. No doubt about it, God is good, but I nearly missed it. Missed seeing his goodness because I was looking the other way, looking up at the people at the top who, and envying them because they had it made. They had nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world. He goes on later, what's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody tending the store? He, the psalmist feels, I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. If I had talk, talked like this, I would have betrayed your dear children. 
Still, when I tried to figure it out, the truth prevails and, and the lie will be shown. All I got was a splitting headache until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I saw the whole picture, the big picture, the slippery road you've put them on and how it ends in a crash in a ditch of delusion. When my heart was grieved and spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. And yet you stayed with me, God, and you have now guided me with your counsel. The, the psalm closes, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. And James makes it even more earthy, almost literally, when he writes about how we must wait patiently. Patiently for the master's arrival. You see, farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that, steady and strong. Take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything and went through everything and never once quit, all the time honoring God. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, Job's patience. And you know how God brought it all together for Job at the end. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. And even though lies often inflict severe damage, God's truth prevails ultimately. I will close with the words of a person who experienced the fullness of this story, both the severe damage of lies and the hope that God's truth ultimately prevails. Oscar Romero was the Bishop of San Salvador, El Salvador in the late 1970s. He saw the devastation of a corrupt and violent government, and he spoke the truth to their lies. In fact, Romero had a radio program every Sunday that was broadcast all across El Salvador, and one of the things that he would do is he would read out the names of every person that had been told to him who had been killed or who had disappeared. Bishop Oscar Romero was assassinated in 1980 in a chapel of a hospital just after finishing Mass. But even with all the evil he experienced and knowing that his life was on the line, Bishop Romero, before his death, spoke these words. Brothers and sisters, the church is not mistaken. The church awaits with certainty the hour of redemption. Those who have disappeared will reappear. The sorrows of these mothers will be turned into Easter. The affliction of this people, which knows not where it goes amid so much affliction, will become Easter resurrection when we join ourselves to Christ and hope in him.
Amen.